morning, my spring chickens, and welcome back to another episode of Miss Congeniality. Hi, how are you guys? I love you so much. I'm so excited to be here today with a fabulous episode. We have a guest today. Her name is Dr. Liz Letchford, and she is the founder of The Body Church, and she's like all sorts of things. Like She's a very smart woman, and we have a very amazing conversation about healing your body, and I'm very excited to get into it. But of course, we're going to do a little just a little updates, a little chit-chat, a little how are we. It's been quite the week over here, just trying to get my shit together before the holidays. Holiday plans up in the air, lots of family stuff going on. You guys know the drill, but I will figure out what I'm going to be doing fairly soon and hopefully can share lots of content um, wherever I am. So I'm very excited for Thanksgiving. I, You guys know I just have a weird relationship to Thanksgiving food. It's like my least favorite thing on the planet, but I love the vibes and it really, we are throttling toward the holiday season full force ahead. And I don't mind it. I love a little Christmas cheer and I absolutely love the holiday season. So I'm feeling very good about that. Very energized. It really just is scary to look at the calendar and say, wow, it's November 15th. So that means it's less than a month away from the release of my book. I didn't know I needed this. Now, Just a quick self-promo, as though I haven't been doing that for a year and you guys must be annoyed, but I love you very much for bearing with me. I'm throwing a huge launch show party, live show, kickoff book tour moment in New York City on December 12th at Sony Hall, and I would love to see you all there. Meet and greet is included, so we're all going to meet, and it's going to be lovely and fun and wonderful and exciting, and the run of show is amazing. The special guest is iconic. I can't even wait for you guys to find out who it is. You won't find out until the day of, so you'll have to be there. And if you haven't pre-ordered the book yet, you might consider doing so. Honestly, like, Totally up to you guys. Maybe you're not so into pre-ordering books. I get it. It's it's weird. It's a weird thing, right? Like, how many of us have ever pre-ordered a book before now? I'm not sure. Like, sometimes I would if, like, a book was coming out that I really wanted and I knew it would sell out quickly, but I never realized how much it helps debut authors. So if you're interested in supporting me and you like what I do, pre-ordering my book would mean the absolute fucking world to me. If you're not interested in pre-ordering it, that's okay. You can wait until December 12th as well. I love you guys and I'm absolutely honored to be on this journey with all of you and to be a part of your lives in some way, um, whatever whatever way that is. I'm really looking forward to Black Friday shopping and I think Black Friday slash Cyber Monday is going to be where I do most of my holiday shopping. That's where I'm really going to live and I'm I'm excited about it. Don't know about you, but like I need those deals. Like I love a deal. I'm a sucker for a deal. I'm waiting patiently. I haven't even thought about my holiday shopping because I'm going to conquer all of it on Black Friday. And that's just a day I'm really looking forward to if you guys were curious. But I think the main thing you guys probably want to hear about is the fact that I met Sarah Jessica Parker last week and I promised a full story time on the podcast. So that's what I'm going to do now. So I got invited to a little event for Sarah Jessica Parker's brand, Sarah Jessica Parker Collection. They were slash are doing a really cool collaboration with um, the brand that I literally cannot pronounce, but it's a accessories brand and I'm going to spell it for you. 
Okay, it's Lili, I think Sadoi. It's S-A-D-O-U-G-H-I. So they were doing a collaboration. They have storefronts next to each other in the West Village. And they invited me to an event that's like in conversation with Sarah Jessica Parker and this other woman, Lili. And I was really looking forward to it. Sarah Jessica Parker and I have never been in the same room before. I've never like seen her in person. I had no idea if she was going to be there or not. I get there. It's like at a restaurant in the West Village. It's like 30 people and she's there and I'm literally freaking out. So I've been friendly for a really long time with um, somebody that works with Sarah Jessica Parker pretty closely. She's incredible and amazing and I'm obsessed with her. So we got to see and meet each other for the first time as well because we've been internet friends for a while. Great big hug, chatting. And then she was like, I will introduce you to SJ in a little bit. So she calls me over to meet her and like, it was the way that Sarah Jessica Parker knew who I was, like absolutely disturbing. Should not have been a thing. Crazy, out of control, wild. We had a little bit of a five-minute conversation. She was like, tell me everything. How's it going with the book? What's the plan for the tour? Do you have run of show? Have you written the scripts? Where is it? Oh my God, that's so fun. Can I come? I tell her the date. She's like, I have rehearsal, but I'll be thinking about you. I'll be thinking about you. And she kept saying that. And it was this crazy thing that like, she has like this warm energy and aura, this like friendly, almost like superstar vibe, but she just wants to put the spotlight on you. Like she can hardly even talk about herself. She just wants it to be about everybody else, which I find to be so sweet and darling and touching and lovely and just fabulous. She's fabulous. She's gorgeous and like radiant inside and out. So we talked for a while about all things book tour, everything going on. Like I swear to God, she was going to come on 1212 and like, I wish she did not have rehearsal because that would have been fucking insane. But finally, like we finished talking and she was like, I just know that like you're stepping into your moment right now and this is going to be huge for you. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like I have your blessing right now. And she said, you have more than my blessing. Oh my God, I almost died. Anyway, she's the most fabulous, wonderful, gorgeous woman that's ever walked the face of the planet. And like, I'm in love with her. It's bolstered my love for her times 1,000, 100,000, 1 million. She's perfect. And really do go check out this collaboration because I think it's a really cute holiday gift. They made like shoe clips to clip onto your heels to kind of like make a regular normal pair of heels look a little bit more elevated. It's very, very Carrie Bradshaw, as is a lot of the stuff that I feel like SJ does. So definitely look into her shoes and stuff. Um, And like the clips and the headbands and the jewelry. It's all gorgeous. And I think it's really great for holiday gifts. And I just want to support her now more than ever because she's just so lovely and kind and like literally sobbing, crying. In terms of what I'm watching and reading, I finished The Vanishing Half. I highly, highly, highly recommend. Can't recommend enough. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I just started Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. I'm living Golden Bachelor episode to Golden Bachelor episode, as one does, in addition to The Kardashians. I really need a new TV show, but I don't really know what I want to watch. And to be honest, like, I'm more of like a podcast, book, occasional film girl. Have officially showed my boyfriend the holiday because he never saw the holiday, which is your reminder to watch the holiday. It's really Cameron Diaz's best work. I can't say it's Kate Winslet's best work. I think we like, we, that would be sacrilegious to say we know what her best work is, but it's definitely Cameron Diaz's best work. Um, and maybe that's disputed. Let me know if you think that there's something else that's Cameron Diaz's best work. But anyway, we have much to get to and we have a fabulous interview today. And so without further ado, I'm just going to let that do the talking. I love you guys very much. If you need anything, you know where you can find me. I will see you next week and let's get into it. 
Hi guys, I'm so excited for today's guest who I have here today. I feel like I have so much to learn from her and I hope you guys do too. We have here Dr. Liz Letchford, who is a mentor, coach, clinician, researcher, and artist, which is my favorite part about who you are, (laughs) who approaches health and movement through the lens of emotional wellness. She has an extensive background in sports medicine and she's helped thousands of people demystify the body and its functions while realizing their greatest potential. I'm so excited to have you here. Like I read your bio and I was like, this is so interesting. I've never met anybody like you. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Eli. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really, really excited for you to tell me a little bit about yourself. I always like my guests to introduce themselves and elevator pitch their career and what they do because I feel like a bio online just can't summarize it as well as you can with your own words. So would you tell everybody a little bit about what you do, your career and everything else? Because it's so interesting and cool. Yeah. Um, oh, it's been a journey. <laughs> so I started in sports medicine um, from the get-go. In college, I studied athletic training, which is, you see the athletic trainers who like run on the field yes. after a football player gets injured. Like that was me and my little fanny pack. And so I was obsessed with learning about how to take care of people, about the body. I've taken a gajillion anatomy classes and dissected cadavers and really got into the the knowledge base of the human body. And I started working with people one-on-one, did uh, corrective exercise with um, incredible clients. I worked with a professional NBA dance team, um, helping them with their injuries and their performance. And I just started to notice it's not just about what we learn in anatomy class. It's not just about what we learn about the musculoskeletal system. It There are components to injuries that are emotional. And so as I was finishing my dissertation, my dissertation was on why female athletes get have higher incidence of knee injuries than males. And I just I we you know we di- we discovered all the joint angles and the did all of the motion capture analysis and at the end of the day, no one's asking these athletes, "Hey, how you feeling?" Like what's going on? You stressed out? Yeah, probably. You're trying to get into college and you haven't taken a day off uh, in years because soccer is a year-round sport or hey, your parents are going through a divorce. Like sh- I'm sure that I'm sure that is impacting your fascial system and your musculoskeletal system. And so that's where I started being really curious and just started tuning in and asking the questions that not many people are asking about, hey, what is this other for? What are all of the forces acting on the body? We know about the musculoskeletal force. We know about the the biomechanical forces. We know about we know about gravitational pull on the body, and and, and no one's asking about the emotional force. And so that's kind of my that's my big area of curiosity right now. And it's been profound the amount of of results and healing and injury relief and pain relief and like artistry that comes through the people that I work with when we're tapping into the emotional component. That's amazing. I'm I'm so curious to ask you, why do you think that this has not been like extensively studied? Is there like a component of the fact that athletes are sort of meant to be like 
hard and hardened and and maybe masculine in a way that's unemotional. So they're not like really getting in touch with their feelings and emotions or like, is there a reason why you think that this hasn't been extensively studied or looked into? Well, you think about our athletes, especially like the gladiator sports, like football or wrestling, there are warriors. And so they don't really have the luxury of thinking about their emotions, but that's a duality that I think we're just conflating. I think we're misconstruing it because if we allowed our athletes time off to rest, if we hired enough athletes on a team to be able to give them a rotation to allow and even just acknowledge their emotional experience, they're going to perform better. They're going to be more winning. So (laughs) there's, I think there's this like suck it up mentality that I don't know if you played sports, but many, many athletes that I speak to myself included, has, you know, when you, you just didn't tell your athletic trainer, you didn't tell your coach, Hey, I'm dealing with this ankle injury because injury and ailment has been culturally a sign of weakness. So we just sort of grin and bear it. And so I also work with people who are, who are just everyday athletes. You're, you know, stay-at-home mom or your CEO, they're athletes in their own right. And they uh, artists, they use their bodies as their tool. And they've also been told and grown up in a culture of grin and bear it. And so it's just, um, I think it's a cultural thing, but it's shifting. We are open about talking about therapy. Hey, I'm going to therapy. It's no longer taboo. So I'm really excited about the shift in culture that's happening. Yeah, that it's so crazy about the fact that therapy is like, was not widely considered like normal or it was very taboo, like you know, 10, 20 years ago. And it's wild to me. Like, obviously I don't remember that kind of time that well, but I was visiting in London. My best friend lived there for a while. And she was saying that like her friends that weren't American were like absolutely shocked that she like saw a therapist regularly. It's almost like crazy. Like if you go to another country, that's where you can really feel what it felt like before it became so normal here. Like it's, it's really not normal. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, in, in some ways we're cutting edge in other ways we're not, you know, there's, there's, uh, it is true and it is important that we have to consider what's going on in our emotional systems in order to really understand how our physical bodies are reacting. So, so many people come to me when they're like, listen, Liz, I've gone to every doctor, I've gone to every therapist, I've tried everything and the pain persists. And so I'm like, great, let's try. And I don't go back into the past. It's not therapy. I stay what's present in your body now. You are having a trauma response in your body ever so mild in your body right now in this moment, which means there is a past version of you showing up in the present moment, driving the car. And guess what? We don't need three-year-old Eli driving the car right now. (laughs) And so it's an opportunity to just identify that and make a shift and give three-year-old Eli a chance to breathe and be heard and be listened to. And it's the compassion that we never got from our parents, community, family, peers, back then that we're able to give to ourselves now. So it's more of a completion rather than a going back in time and, and, and cognitively understanding the trauma that we went through. Yeah, absolutely. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious if you can just talk to us a little bit about body church and what is body mm-hmm. church and like what led to you deciding to create this and like, what was the impetus? What was the need that you saw and sort of like, what is it? 
Yeah. So I created Body Church. So Body Church is a community and a movement studio that combines emotional awareness, nervous system reprogramming, and somatic education, and it helps you understand the language of your body. So we're fluent in body language. So I created Body Church as a place to show up to be able to go through this process. So I created a, a practice um, based on my observation and my my background in, in physiology and biomechanics. I call it spirokinetics. It means breath movement. And it's um, in very simple terms, it's tuning your body to your calmest nervous system. It's not tuning your body to anybody else's nervous system. It's not teaching you how to move correctly. It's literally a practice using your breath and acknowledging your fascia, which is the interconnective tissue that kind of covers everything in your body and helps you move. Like if we were marionette puppets, the fascia would be our marionette wires controlled by our brain and our nervous system. And so it is a practice that helps you tune your body to your nervous system. And so we meet on Saturdays. I teach a class, the the flagship class, um, which is completely in spoken word poetry. So that's where the artistry comes in. Um, And so I teach the class. And it's really just, hey, let me teach you the practice and then give you 45 minutes to unwind and give your body what it needs. And so as a community, we've all agreed that it's okay to show up lazy. It's okay to show up angry. It's okay to move between 8,000 emotions if you need to today. It's, there's no right or wrong way to show up to class. And so it's, um, it looks like kind of like intuitive spiral movement. So there's these like spiral movements. Sometimes people will like get a little oscillation, like a little shake to help restore the brain body connection. So we call that proprioception. So it's like a brain body connection practice and it's all in poetry. So it's super fun. (laughs) Wait, I I have so many follow-up questions. It sounds kind of like a mix of like yoga with like a less intense Zumba with like meditation (laughs) with like poetry. Like it sounds like something so interesting and different. Yeah, definitely. And the poetry came through recently because I, so it's an artist practice first and foremost, and art is just the way we see our world expressed through our eyes. And a lot of us are just regurgitating other people's viewpoints on the world. And so it's really a revolutionary movement practice to get to the heart of who you are so that you can share your artistry with the world. Even if you don't identify as an artist, we're all able to express movement through movement and voice and, and whatever artistic medium, how we see the world. And so the poetry came through just a few months into the practice, I was unwinding so much and I kind of just got into this state. And what I realized, the physiological effect of poetry and like certain cadences is it gets the brain into a state that it kind of like hypnotizes you. It's got this like hypnotic effect, gets you into more of a lower brainwave state so that your mind isn't like, oh, my movements are weird or what am I going to do later? So I'm poetically hypnotizing you. <laughs> and it's it's an invitation. The words I speak are an invitation. Like 
to just think about certain aspects. So I poetically guide you through um, a certain archetype. For example, if the class is about, last class was about um, stepping into your power. And so we got to meet full power. And I also got to guide people through full surrender so that they could surrender to their own power. So we meet the archetype and then we also meet everything in the way of the archetypes. And so there's stories there and there's fear there and there's tension. And so what I do, the, the, the crux of the practice is noticing where in the breath there is tension. So we can do this now. Whoever's listening, you can do this now. Take a huge breath in like you're going to fill up. A, like the balloon might pop. Like breathe all the way in. And then all the way out like you're going to empty all of your lungs until you might cough at the end. And then do it again, but this time notice if notice if you can map where the tension is. So as you breathe in at first, it's an open straw, and then the straw starts to get smaller. You start to feel a little resistance. And then you start to feel a lot of resistance. You know, you have to like <laughs> kind of suck it in. And then on the exhale, same thing. So all the way out. And then oh, you have to like kind of force it out. So that resistance I call the tension field. And that is a measure of how much of your past or future worry is showing up in the present moment. And so the real resist, if we were to breathe in all the way, we would only be met with our lung capacity and the muscles that, so that uh, the muscles of the diaphragm stretching. So it would feel more like a, like a muscle stretch versus like, like a weird tension that kind of gives me a little anxiety. Now, the extreme version of that is a panic attack. So if we have a tension field so thick on the inhale and so thick on the exhale, we don't have a lot of room for that open straw. So it's, (laughs) right? And so that's so much past and so much anxiety showing up in the present moment. So we work with that and then we forget about any stories and we just let the body do what it needs to do. That's so interesting. And you definitely triggered a thought for me um, when you mentioned, you know, like anyone can do this at home. I feel like sometimes wellness is unattainable. And like, I know a lot of people can't access your class in person. How do you recommend that we start sort of like this healing practice for ourselves at at home? Because I feel like so many people are going to listen to this and be like, I am carrying around so much tension and I do live with chronic pain. And I want to, I want to find tangible ways to sort of like unwind a little bit for lack of a better phrase. Oh yeah. First of all, yes. Congratulations. Definitely. If you're curious about starting that journey, like keep, keep going. Um, my biggest advice is pause (laughs) is to just take a moment, even if it's 30 seconds and just take that deep breath and just notice what you notice. You're going to notice stories coming up. You're going to notice your body might like your shoulders might be tight or your hips might be achy. So our ability to be present with whatever tension is in our body without just throw away the stories. Like, oh, it's because I, no, we don't know that. All of the studies said, hey, women have more injuries because of their hip angle or because of their we call it a femoral notch or, or, or who knows why, because of their cleats. No, maybe a little bit, maybe that's a little factor, but there's my, my hypothesis is what holds the pelvis together? The pelvic floor. And guess what our culture has gone through as female bodied humans, as women, 
We've gone through a cultural shutting down of our pelvic floor. One in four, probably more women have been sexually assaulted. So there's been a violation of our pelvic floor. And so all of these athletes guaranteed a majority of them have gone through some sort of emotional, physical shutting down of their sexual creative power. Nobody's talking about that. And so and so it does like, oh, no, 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 my knees hurt because I wore the wrong shoes. It's like, yes, and let's get curious about what might be living in the present moment that is actually causing harm, that's not actually in your best interest. And we can lovingly, gently, at the pace of your nervous system, unwind that versus screaming into a pillow, blasting it through. Like there's, there's emotional release techniques that can blow out your nervous system. So this practice at body church and the spirokinetics practice is actually very kind to the nervous system. It allows you to unwind at the pace of your nervous system. We're going to take a quick break to talk about a new partner of ours that I'm so excited about. I always like to try out our partners before I you know, come on here and tell you guys you need to support this company. And I've tested this one out. And let me just tell you, it is the bee's knees. It is the best. So this year, I am so thankful for Honey Love because is there anything worse than suffering from an uncomfortable bra or shapewear? And you guys know I love my shapewear. Honey Love has revolutionized the bra and shapewear game. So say goodbye to uncomfortable underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat because I'm a sweaty girl. Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. Plus, they're made with the absolute softest fabric in the world. I need to be honest, I feel like I'm pretty well-versed in talking about bras because before my breast reductions, like I really needed support supportive and comfortable bras and I could never find bras that were both supportive and comfortable and if I had honey love back then the game would have literally been changed. They literally are made for everyone, which I absolutely love. Honestly, these bras are so comfortable like I don't even want to take them off. Like I'm so chill in it that it's not like I come home and I'm ready to rip my bra off. I'm like, okay, I could take it off, but I'm also down to keep it on. They're also not like over the shoulder boulder holder vibes. Like not only are they comfortable, but they're also a little sexy. They have like a little mesh detailing, like they look nice and they feel nice, which is so absolutely amazing. In addition, I'm obsessed with the, sh- the shapewear, specifically the superpower short. It is absolutely the way to go. So treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save up to 50% off. Did you hear that? Come on. If you're looking to get somebody a gift or you want to buy yourself a gift, 50% off site-wide at honeylove.com slash miss this month only. Inventory is limited and the sale ends soon, so don't miss their best deals of the year. That's going to be honeylove, H-O-N-E-Y, love.com slash M-I-S-S, miss. That's me. Please support our show and tell them that we sent you. It's time to ditch the underwire for good. Thanks to Honey Love. Love you guys. So you mentioned, you know, women and, and like the, the pain and trauma that women carry. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Because I feel like people forget that, like, even if you didn't experience a trauma directly, like it's, it's passed down through generation and, and it's something that it's not really acknowledged or thought about, especially not in like a scientific way. Sure. Oh yeah. This is a, this is, this is one of my favorite things to speak about actually. And it really requires an understanding of how our nervous system works. So our nervous system is our brain, our spine, and all the nerves that innervate our body. And they carry electricity. They carry currents. They carry information therefore. And so 
those nerve, those neurological impulses are, tra- are carrying information constantly. They're carrying information from the body to the brain and from the brain to the body. Now, I like to imagine we are like tuning forks for ourselves and for each other. So if, I, if you hit me, bing, my nervous system's going to zing at a certain note. And if I hit you, bing, your nervous system's going to zing at a certain note. Now, your mother's nervous system, your father's nervous system, the people in your community, their nervous system is actually, bing, tuning your nervous system. So if you're, the people you grew up with had this trauma that happened to them, maybe, or maybe it even happened to past generations, it's this fear of failure, for example, is a common one. I can't fail, so I got to just never rest. If I rest, I die, is what their nervous system is being, being tuned to. And so you grow up, you're a little kid learning, your nervous system's learning. You don't have to use your brain for this one. Your body is just learning. How do we show up in the world? How do I be a human? Oh, cool. I've learned from my parents that if I rest, I die. <laughs> okay. And so then you, if you don't heal that in your lifetime, you pass that down to your children. So that's where intergenerational trauma comes in the body. And so it gets even more complex than that. We actually carry the stories in our bodies. We carry the stories of that past trauma. So we can turn that nervous system signal into thoughts. We can turn it into actions and behaviors. So now, because your great, great, great grandmother was in the war or had some crazy trauma, now you're behaving a certain way when you step on stage or you go up for a job promotion because it's not safe to be powerful because every woman in your family got shut down or her voice was taken away or got persecuted for being powerful. Now, it's not just about women. There's so much trauma that happened for, for every gender. Regardless of what body you're in, there's so much. Um, and there's also so much beauty. So it works the other way, too. You can pass down beautiful joy. Like if your family has the capacity to stretch into joy, that tunes your nervous system as well. So when we're thinking about maybe people that had or dealt with more generational trauma, whether it's a subsidy, like a sub effect of their identity or whether it's from something that their grandparents or great-grandparents experienced, how do you recommend like starting to handle that? Because I feel like that's such a massive thing that, again, isn't really thought about, isn't really spoken about, isn't really written about. So when we're kind of thinking about this, like, okay, I'm definitely like holding on to the trauma of generations before me. How do we like start to confront something that massive? Mm. Um resource yourself. And what I mean by that is, is go into it through whatever means. I mean, there's therapy, there's somatic therapy, which is adjacent to what I'm, what I do. Um, but they basically, they go into the past through your body. (laughs) So it's not just talk therapy, it's body therapy. Um, there's, there's meditation, there's psychedelics, there's so many ways to go into all of that. But the biggest, most important thing is to make sure you're resourced because when we open those little packets of information, I mean, our body stores memories that our mind protects us from. And so, you know, I have an experience with my body remembering a trauma that happened to me before I could speak. 
but my mind, I still to this day have no memory, but the, but the reaction in my body is so visceral and so strong. It's undeniable. And so I wasn't ready to go through that until last year. You know, I'm 35 years old. So for my entire life, I had this thing, but I wasn't resourced enough yet to be able to handle knowing that without collapsing into victim mentality. So it's a, it's a slow and steady process to observe how you react to being a victim of abuse, to observe how you react when you are in a state of fear and it all comes down to your breath. So the, the spirokinetics breath practice is a really good way to start to meet these parts of you without collapsing. Because as long as you keep that breath practice going, you don't go into panic attack. You don't go into the past. You don't go into anxiety. The breath, your full breath keeps you like a metronome, like a tick, 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 just to- ticking towards your, your edge of, of parasympathetic, sympathetic response in your nervous system, the fight or flight or the rest and digest. We're like right at the edge. That's, that's really interesting. And, and like exactly, I think kind of encapsulates some of the stuff that I've read about similar things, um, about the way that women specifically, but everybody carries around trauma, um, or pain from previous generations. I'm curious you know, when the world is such a dark and stressful place, like how you recommend we slow down and listen to our bodies? Because I think for a lot of people, it's not the fact that they don't yet, aren't yet ready to do it or don't yet want to do it, but it's more so like how, especially when the, when the world is experiencing so much pain and and trauma itself, and we're like in such like a go, go, go place, like how do you slow down and take time to like, listen to your body and, and understand that? Yeah. And it's a privilege, you know, there's no denying it is a privilege to be able to slow down and actually not die. There are places in the world where if you stop, if you breathe, if you pause, you will die. And so I acknowledge that it's a privilege. So if you have the privilege to be able to take five minutes, five hours, five weeks to slow down, use it because right now there's so much there is so much tension in the world. And when we can meet that same tension in our bodies and have compassion for it and understand it, that's how we become helpful. Because what we do is we sit, we watch what's going on and that tension in the, wherever it is in the world, the wars or the, the injustices going on, if we just sit there and allow it to absorb into our system all we're doing is being affected and we now have been ding tuned to the tension of the, of this dark darkness that's happening in the world. So if you really want to make a change in yourself first, you start by being like, great, in order to restore balance, if I really want to change the world, I change me. And so I don't, I don't avoid the tension. I don't do the opposite of tension. I meet the tension in myself first. I get to know it. I make friends with it. And then I find joy. And that's how we restore the balance. Um, And so there's, if you have privilege enough to pause, (laughs) 
do it because our world is relying on you to bring the opposite pole, to bring the balance. So we're done. We don't need to sit back and feel bad. We don't need to feel bad for being joyful in a dark time. We actually need that. And it's not, it's not a bypassing. It's not, it's not selfish. It's actually very important in the grand scheme of things. I think it's, really difficult because I like appreciate what you said. Like we can't be ignoring it and like turning a blind eye because I feel like the same privilege that allows you to pause is the privilege that allows you to just be like, well, that doesn't concern me. So I don't care about it or I'm just going to ignore it. But I always say, you know, like self-care is community care. And if you're like all over the place and like not feeling your best, it's going to be impossible for you to actually go out into the world and do whatever you have to do to, to serve justice to certain communities or to advocate for something or to protest or whatever it is you want to do, you're not going to be capable of doing that if you're not taking care of yourself. And it is so complicated because taking care of yourself is such a privilege. Totally. And if we are reacting, if we are showing up on a microphone, if we're showing up at the city halls, if we're showing up in the streets, if we're showing up in a, to a argument with our friends, like even a microcosm of, you know, where we might meet war in our communities, if we're showing up to ourselves and it's a place of reaction, we are just perpetuating the same problem that we're trying to fight. And so when you can really, instead of like erupting like a volcano of lava of anger out of your mouth, if you can like send that fire down into the earth and actually be magma (laughs) and be calm and grounded with your anger, it's so much more pointed and like fierce. Yeah. And actually way more effective. Yeah. I completely agree. It's like they say that all the time. Like when you're fight, when you're arguing with someone and there's somebody on the wrong side of history or on the wrong side of the debate, if you show up like angry and defensive to them, they're not. It's not going to work out for you. But if you're able to show up educated, calculated, and calm, and that's so hard to get to that place because there is so much emotion when you feel like something is wrong. It's just so much more effective when you're able to show up cool and collected. Oh, it's so much more effective. And then you also get this little boost because when I nail it sometimes and I'm like, you know, when you're just like, oh, wow, I've really come a long way because this, this fight like two years ago would have thrown me into the floor. Like I would have been such a bitch. (laughs) Screamed at them. Like I know exactly what you mean. I feel like I've had a lot of growth as well because like I used to approach like sociopolitical conversations and arguments with like so much anger. And I'm not an angry person. The only thing that makes me angry is when people are on the wrong side of history in certain debates or people are racist, sexist, fat, phobic, whatever it is. Like that's the only thing that truly brings anger out of me. But the anger Mm. wasn't working because it was just like, as you were saying, fire spewing everywhere, like not directed. Then when I was able to just like get really educated and calculated, now I can approach those conversations even when I am so angry with a lot more just like calmness. And that's better for me. And it actually is better for the other person because it is more likely to change their mind. Exactly. And it's all about, it's all about compassion. I know that's such like a buzzword, right? Like, okay, Liz, cool. Like you said, compassion. What does that actually mean? It means meeting that racist person and being like, listen, 
I understand that your nervous system was ding tuned to some racist ass bullshit when you were younger. And so you're doing the best you can. I know it sounds like ignorance. Maybe it is. But if you can find a place of like, okay, I understand you. And here's my perspective. Otherwise you're just bad. You're just, you know, what are you going to do? This person is going to just clam up and put up more defenses. And so if you can find some sort of humanity, human common ground in that argument, it doesn't justify, you're not justifying to yourself or to anybody what they're doing is right. But what you are is you're meeting their darkness. You're meeting that with compassion so that it can actually be brought to the light. And that is the most beautiful. We need more of that, please. Yeah. Just more humanity. More humanity. Yes. Okay. We're going to talk about one of our sponsors. You guys know that I've been rocking with HelloFresh. And now every plate is owned by HelloFresh. And we're going to talk about every plate today. Are you hoping to budget your food expenses this holiday season? Well, you can get more bang for your bite with America's best value meal kit. Every plate is cheaper than takeout with no hidden fees. So you can add more items to your cart for delicious holiday meals. It's also kind of fun for a date night. Like I always think about this. If I was in the early stages of dating somebody, I would definitely do a meal kit delivery service as a little at-home cooking thing because it's not too hard. It's foolproof and it still tastes great. Even if you don't feel like doing that, with the jam-packed holiday season upon us, you can really count on every plate to make mealtimes easier without compromising on quality. They really use the highest quality ingredients, including sustainably sourced seafood, and I think that's amazing. You know your meals will be both fresh and flavorful. So pick the sustainable choice this November. Every plate does offset 100% of their delivery emissions and their meals have a 31% lower carbon footprint on average than supermarket meals of the same portion. Think about that. To be honest, when I first like got into the meal kit realm of life, I was sort of skeptical thinking that they might be super expensive, but now you can literally get absolutely delicious meals at a much, much lower price. Now hear me out. You guys can get a meal for $1.49 plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49MISS. Subscription must be active to qualify and redeem $1 steak. So get started with EveryPlate for just $1.49 per meal plus $1 steaks for life, excuse me, by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49MISS. Come on, guys. You need to do this. Think about it. That's up to $110 value. Go impress that date of yours that's coming over or just enjoy a delicious and easy to prep meal. Thank you, EveryPlate, for sponsoring today's episode. Love you. So kind of like switching gears a little bit. I know that you've done a lot of work talking about how the health of your body and how you're feeling in your body is connected toward the health of your relationships. And I'm really curious Mm. to talk more about that because a lot of my audience is either like getting into their first serious relationships, moving in with partners, getting engaged in the dating scene. And I'm just curious like how we can better our relationships by bettering our, our relationship to our bodies and ourselves. 
Oh, it's ever yeah, I love talking about this. Okay, so so everything is reflected in your relationship. So if you're trying to work on something, if you're trying to um say you notice like it's all about triggers, right? So if you notice that and what I mean by triggers is like your breath gets really shallow and you just you like maybe your mind goes blank or you go into a blind rage or you shut down, like these are all nervous system responses to some like it, like Ooh, this scene that's happening right now is reminding me of when I was five and I got, you know, popped around across my butt, you know, whatever it might be. And so those things show up. We literally magnetize relationships that remind us of these things because it's our body's way of being like, Ooh, you've got medicine for me. So if we can stop looking at relationships as a commitment to each other, like I love you forever. And I I know it's so romantic. So I'm sorry to break all your hearts or bust your little bubbles, but just bear with me for a moment. (laughs) I'm committed to you forever. I'm never going to leave you. I'm devoted to you. It's like, hold on. That, if I'm devoted to someone, that that person is going to change. And so how about this? How about I'm devoted to being a mirror for you and I'm devoted to not judging you if you get triggered by being by by something that I'm reflecting back to you. I am devoted to understanding that when I'm triggered it's not personal. I mean unless you're literally or hurting me <laughs> or, or manipulating me. Um I understand that we can use all of the complications in our relationships as information, and then we can take it slowly and use it as medicine. For example, you're in a relationship with someone, and you realize that there are certain things that you just wish that they would do. Gosh, if they would only just get me flowers when I ask it, like if they would then... I would understand that I'm loved. If they would just, I just keep saying, God, would you drop in hints, please? I would really, flowers are my favorite. Like sending them pictures of flowers. Oh my God, Jenny's boyfriend gave her flowers. Like maybe that's the one thing. We've all got that one thing in in relationships or with friendships. What's really going on there? (laughs) So it's not your partner is, is, such an idiot that they're not giving you flowers. They just don't understand. But what you're taking from that interaction is they don't love me. They don't care for me. And you watch your inner voice and it's, it's, I'm unworthy to receive flowers. So you take that whole scene and you take a pause and you say, hold on, all of this is happening in my imagination. And you say, great. Can I construct an imaginary scene in my brain where I'm giving me flowers? Can I actually do that? What does flowers represent to me? Can I, can I literally give myself flowers? Can I have a conversation from a place of non-reactivity where, where I talk to my partner? Hey, I really just, instead of just beating around the bush, just go straight to it. Hey, I would love flowers because this is what it feels like, because this is what it means to me. And then they can say, oh, I just didn't want to waste money on flowers. I'd rather just do the dishes or I'd rather buy you a shirt. And you're like, you're so bad at buying me shirts. What? what? No, please, Flowers, please. I can't tell you enough. And so you get to, you get to, instead of just like 
bitching to your friends about, you know, Johnny won't ever get me flowers, you go straight to the source. And that source is you. Why do I need flowers in order to feel love? That's the first question you ask yourself. That's such a good point. And I, I think about this one a lot too. I think a lot of the reason that people think that they need flowers or something to feel love. And by the way, totally valid. Like I'm somebody that needs, that really likes receiving flowers and I'm lucky that I'm with somebody (laughs) that gives me flowers on a regular basis. But a lot of times I think people feel like they need something so much because they see other people on the internet getting that thing. And it's like, you have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. And you're so right that you have to like, you wanting flowers is not is not wrong, but you have to start with you and wonder why that is because then you're able to communicate it to the other person in a much better way where you can be like, I've actually realized that it's not like just the material giving of an item. It's that, you know, when I was growing up, my dad would always bring my mom home flowers and I watched how their love was, you know, so special and intimate and still romantic even being together for so many years. And I really take it as a sign of romance and love. And so it would make me feel really loved. And it would be a romantic gesture if you could do that for me. That's such a better way to say it than just like, I don't know, I just want them. So it really is so smart (laughs) to start with yourself when you find those pockets of need within relationships. And not always is that person going to show up for you, but you're giving them the chance to. Yeah, exactly. So, and and that comes back to, am I going to be reactive or am I going to communicate? You know, am I going to be reactive or am I going to be calm and be curious rather is the word I want to use here is instead of like, oh, I mean, I've heard so many conversations from people who are like, well, they didn't do that. So obviously they're a psychopath. And I'm like, hold hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, pause. (laughs) And so we jump to these conclusions so quickly and it's like, no, they're not a psychopath. There's all these stories of like, they might have a trauma response to flowers. Like you have no idea. And so, so being really curious and being like, Hey, without judgment or shame. Hey, I'm just curious. Like I've, I've hinted at this a couple of times. They're like, Oh, I had no idea. You, you, there, you can't even imagine the story that's going on in their brain. So when we're able to, um, get really curious about ourselves, that will ripple out into getting curious about other people. And imagine that effect, you know, we go back to like all the, everything that's happening in the world right now. I mean, imagine if everyone was just curious, like, Hey, how does this feel to you? <laughs> you know, it's almost unreasonable, unfathomable, but it starts with us first. Yeah, that's that's so true. It really just does start with like individual self-work because I would assume that a lot of people who maintain that like violence is is the answer to things, like those people probably haven't done the work to understand why they feel that way because like that can't be the only option. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so scary like to think that there's just a clear lack of like self-awareness or like the desire to know oneself fully. Exactly. Yeah. And it's all about, it's, and it's, it's about just going slow and the ceremony of life, you know, the ceremony of of every moment being like, wow, I'm learning so much about myself in this moment here at the dry cleaners where (laughs) I'm noticing what I am drawn to or what I'm not drawn to or what I have an aversion to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you've spoken about and you talk a lot about feeling the whole range of human emotions. Mm 
Mm-hmm. What are some spaces, like physical places that you feel like are common for people to go where they can like have the ability to feel, you know, everything? Because I feel like we're we're so often like told that we shouldn't be feeling our emo- all of our emotions or, you know, jealousy is evil and a sin and anger is bad. And I feel like that's especially mm-hmm. true with women. So where do you recommend we can go and what we can do to feel the full range of human emotion? Yeah, I, I'm, that's the reason I created Body Church. So bodychurch.com, come learn, come join. There'll be in-person events, probably in a city near you. Um, but definitely it's an online curriculum that helps you shed all of those stories of like, it's not safe to be jealous. It's not safe to be like, we really embody all of those emotions that in everywhere else in the world, it's not safe to embody. It's almost like body church is a stage and you can start to like put on the costume of your little bratty self and show up and listen to everything this character has to say. Or you can put on the most joyful, abundant version of yourself that you are you haven't felt safe to move into. You felt guilty being joyful. And so you can put on in this safe place where there's no judgment. Okay. This is what it feels like to actually be really joyful. And so, um, it's almost like we're putting on a play of all of these characters and giving them a chance to play themselves out. So they stop causing havoc in your real life. And so we unwind the somatic um, resistance to all of these archetypes. So I would say start with body church. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason it was created. Uh, I'm so happy to uh, be your guide through that. And then one of the things that I, one of the beautiful things that have come out of body church is community. And so there are people all over the world, Egypt, Venezuela, Mexico, like uh, all over the United States, And so there are communities that are interested in having regular weekday community gatherings where you can come and be. (laughs) And so usually what happens, every every community is different depending on their culture um, and who's leading it. But for example, when I lead it, I invite everybody over to a beautiful property and we put, we bring in massage therapists and everyone just sort of like brings some nourishing snacks. It's this beautiful potluck experience. And the whole purpose is show up as you are. So we have an opening like, Hey, what does everyone want to give? And what does everyone want to receive? And we just have a space. Like people are like, I'm really depressed right now. And so there might be someone who shows up who's like, I would feel so fulfilled giving, giving you joy, like helping you do laying joy out of you, or just being here with your depression, like whatever that person needs, it's available. And so starting to, um, learn how to be vulnerable with yourself so that you can be vulnerable with your community because we don't do this alone. We were never meant to do this alone. And so, um, that's my vision. And that's, what's been the most beautiful thing about body church. I love that. And so just to wrap things up, I'm curious what your advice would be to people who are like really ready or wanting to start sort of a healing journey. Like what would your biggest word of advice mm-hmm. for those people? Um, so I'd actually love to read a poem that I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's about, it's about, it kind of sums up everything. And so 
this, you can take this as advice, as inspiration, um, but this is something that I wrote in response to my body's physical experience of tension in the world and tension inside me. I allow myself to find the places inside of me where war exists so that I might fight peace. And so I twist and I speak and I give light to the weak parts of my mind that might fight, that might find differences between you and I. An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. And so I'll bring sight when my body unwinds. And so that poem really is an invitation to find the places where war exists inside of you so that you might find peace. And so the body unwinding, that's really giving relief to your mind to try to understand it. We have so many people, the news and the academics and just people who are, who are just debating intellectually. We don't need that anymore. We need people to meet each other at the humanity level, at the nervous system level, because that's the subtext of every conversation. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. If your nervous system is still wrapped up in war, that's the, what you're tuning people to. And so if we can just, you know, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. So I'll find sight when my body unwinds. So come unwind at Body Church. It's a practice that you can take. It's beautiful for you to come week to week. The whole, every class is different. Every experience is different, but it's a practice that you can do on your own. I do it all the time. I do it in the grocery store. I do it. It takes, it can take five minutes, one minute, 30 seconds. You can take four hours to go through a whole process. It's just come learn the technique and, um, and then have that tool in your arsenal. It's just like, it's like a meditation, but for your entire nervous system. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Please let everybody know where they can find you so they can come take body church, learn more about the practice, reach out if they have questions, all the good stuff. Yeah. So please find me on Instagram. I'm Liz Letchford, um, Dr. Liz Letchford. You can lizletchford.com and then bodychurch.com. We're going to have a beautiful membership and events uh, in a city near you. So I would love to meet you. If you um, please, if you meet me, if we meet each other, if you want to send me a message, please let me know that you heard me on Eli's podcast. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. You are awesome. And I hope everybody learned something new. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. 